All right. Thank you, Wade and the team. If you got a Bible, open up to Matthew 25. That's where we're going to be looking this morning. Uh, Matthew 25, reading verses 1 through 13 this morning. We are starting a new sermon series today that corresponds with the start of the season of Advent. Uh, John Stott, who was an Anglican minister in the heart of London for years and years, uh, was also an avid bird watcher, meaning he was just about as interesting as me on the weekends. And uh, one of the things he used to say is that it's during the season of Advent that Christians, if you're a Christian, You become like an owl. See, an owl is one of the few birds that can turn its head entirely around, meaning it can stand with its body facing one direction and have its head looking completely in the opposite direction. And Stott says that if you're a Christian, during this season of Advent, you become like an owl. Because during this season that we stand facing Christ's first coming, leading to his cross, while we turn our heads and look to his second coming, leading to his renewal of all things. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning will help us all stand towards the cross and turn our heads and look forward to the second advent of Jesus Christ. So read with me Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Follow as I read. This is Jesus speaking. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bride. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil with them in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom It was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the women woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil, our lamps are about to go out. No, they replied, there may not be enough oil for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the women who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch because you do not know the hour or the day. Uh, One of the worst feelings uh, probably that you could ever experience is uh, showing up to something relatively important entirely unprepared. Uh, I I can remember one time in high school, I mixed up the date on a math test, thought it was later in the week, show up Monday morning, it's happening then. Now, for the average student, this would cause some mild anxiety, but no great panic. Uh, For me, though, it's a little bit different. Uh, High school, it's not about school. It was about sports and friends, so studying, homework. These were merely one suggestion of the many possible ways that someone could spend their time. So I was a little anxious right now. 
Uh, add into that, it was uh, a math test where you needed a graphing calculator because the entire test was charting out these elaborate kind of up and down parabolas. I had no calculator on me. Uh, I was not ready. In fact, I was as unprepared as one could be in that moment. And so I go into the room, I get a stack of scrap paper from my teacher, <clears throat> and the test starts, and I begin as fast as I can, by hand, calculating out each dot on all these elaborate parabolas or like S charts all over the page. And I'm calculating out each individual dot and then plotting it on the chart. And I'm finally getting to the point where I'm thinking, this is actually going pretty well. I might be able to dig myself out of this one. And it's about the time that I hear from my teacher, time's up, pens down, paper's over, bring them up to the front. And I turn the paper over and realize, oh, there was a back to the test that never even got to. Brilliant. Jesus is telling his disciples this parable to get one point across. Be ready. In chapter 24, just before this, Jesus tells his disciples that after he is crucified and resurrected, he's going to come back. Now, today, when we talk about the second coming of Christ, it's, it's often kind of conjures up, you know, thoughts of doom and gloom, fire and brimstone, uh, and the parable is clear, that will be a part of it. But for Jesus' disciples, his second coming was actually a source of incredible encouragement to them. Their Savior, who loved them, is promising he'll come back for them, where he will renew everything. Or if you're a Christian, you will spend an eternity in a renewed body, with a renewed mind, and a renewed heart, among a renewed people, on a renewed earth, where we will worship our renewing Savior forever. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be loud. Just like he says in this parable, it's going to be like a feast, a wedding, a party, because our Savior who loves us has come back for us and his creation. It's the moment the whole world is waiting for. Uh, the problem, though, is this. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. In fact, Jesus himself seemingly talks about it in two paradoxical ways. In some places, seems to say, I come back tonight. Other places, seems to say, it's going to be a while. Consistent is what he tells us in the last verse of this parable. Nobody knows the hour or the day. So be ready. And it's that waiting that's hard, isn't it? In, in a world that's not all it should be, and in lives that were not all they're meant to be, it's hard to wait for that second advent of Christ. We get distracted, we get restless, we get bored, we get frustrated, and if we're not careful, when he does come, we won't be ready. And like the foolish women in this parable, he'll say to us, I never knew you. Be ready. Because this parable shows us there will be three surprises at the second coming, the second advent of Christ. The surprise of appearances, the surprise of invitations, 
And thirdly, the surprise of judgments. So first, the surprise of appearances. Uh, Jesus says in verse 1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. When I return, in other words, this is how God will work out his plans for his creation. It'll be like a wedding. Now, in those days, uh, a wedding was something the whole town looked forward to. So after formalities happened, preparations were made, the groom would go to the bride's house, get her from there. They'd be escorted through the whole town until they got back to the groom's house where things kicked off. You know, sirloin is searing, bands playing, scotch and cigars are out. The whole town joins this week-long celebration. And Jesus says at this wedding, there's a bridal party. Uh, these ten unmarried women who are kind of something like quasi-bridesmaids uh, today. On the surface, they all look the same. All right, so all ten went out to meet the groom, to escort him through the town. All ten brought torches with them to light the way for the wedding party. And when the groom was getting delayed, all ten fell asleep. They look completely identical on the surface, but in the end, they wind up sitting at two very different tables. Five were wise, five were foolish. The wise ones came prepared. They brought oil to uh, keep their torches lit throughout the night. The foolish ones, though, didn't bring any oil. They weren't ready for the groom to be delayed at all. And Jesus is depicting in these ten bridesmaids who all seem to be the same, people who all say they're a Christian, who to themselves, everyone around them, appear to be a Christian. They go to church, they get the lingo, they kind of live the cultural lifestyle, and yet in reality, he's saying some are deceived. In the end, some will join his celebration, others he'll turn and say, I never knew you. Henry Skugel, who was a, uh, he was a, Scottish theology professor, 1600s, wrote a letter once to a friend who's, who's very concerned with spiritually. And in this letter, it became very famous, uh, he describes in it three ways that someone can appear to be a Christian on the outside, but like these five foolish bridesmaids, are, are really actually deceiving themselves. The first way, he says, is when we think that, that we will be at Jesus' end-of-time celebration because of what we know. You know, we've been in church a while, we've, we've spent a lot of time reading the Bible, studying theology, and we think because we know the right doctrine, that's what makes someone a Christian. Right? It doesn't matter if it hasn't affected our heart, changed the way we live at all, that's, that's not the point. We've got it all figured out. Or, he says, if we think we'll be at this end of the time feast because of what we do. If we think, I go to church, I tithe, I'm on a serving team at home, I'm, I'm disciplined, I, I avoid all the big sins. You know, we think Christianity's hard, but I'm trying my best. Or third, he says, when we think we'll be at this end of time feast because of what we feel. Some of us, we live for these emotional experiences with God. Come to church on Sunday and whether it's the music, the sermon, something strikes you the right way, you have this emotional moment with God and you leave feeling very close to him. 
Now, all three of these things are essential to a thriving spiritual life. But what Jesus is saying through these 10 bridesmaids that look the same but in reality aren't is that it's entirely possible to merely appear to be a Christian, to be able to explain Christianity from the inside out or to live a holy life or to come to church on Sunday, hear that song you like, get all the feels, and in the end, Jesus will say to you, I never knew you. Be ready. Because appearances are more misleading than we think. Second is the surprise of the invitation. Uh, So the groom is running late. Uh, The bridesmaids all fall asleep. And then in verse 6, there is this unexpected announcement. At midnight, a cry rang out. Here's the groom. Come out to meet him. This unanticipated shock uh, ends up revealing some unprepared guests. It says, then all the women woke up to their alarm and they trimmed their lamps. They tried to turn them on. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But no, the wise ones replied. If we do that, there might not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Um, It sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? You you would think these five wise bridesmaids, if they clearly brought all this oil with them, can't they just spare a little bit for these women who came unprepared? And in real life, you know, they probably could. But oftentimes in Jesus' parables, he diverges from what we would normally expect to happen to prove a point. And the point is this. When Jesus comes back, it'll be a surprise. It'll be like getting jolted awake in the middle of the night. And in that moment, everyone will need their own oil. Meaning we can't borrow being ready for his arrival from anybody else in our life. And when Jesus comes back at his second advent, there will be no salvation by association. None of us will be able to say, well, my wife's a Christian. Or my boyfriend, he's very serious about his faith. Or my my parents believe in Jesus. Or I, I went to a Christian school. No, when that day comes, you won't be able to get in on anybody else's ticket. Do you know um do you know how hard it is to get into the Oscars, at least when they were in person? Um when you take the, where they, you know, host it, when you subtract from all the seats there, all the actors and their families they get to bring with them, uh, everyone that's involved in the films, all the musicians, the production crew, there, there's a few hundred, like 500 essentially bleacher seats in the back for the, the general population like you and me that they decide uh, purely by lottery system. So imagine you show up, night of the Oscars, black suit and tie on, or you got your nice gown on, show up at the front door, and the person at the front door says, all right, I'll take your ticket, and you say, oh, I actually don't have a ticket, Um, but you don't understand, my friend is in there. Uh, Or my aunt, she plays the oboe in the pit band, or uh, I I had an old roommate who was the boom mic operator on one of the films that's been nominated, he's in there, can I just go in? Guy at the door is going to say, yeah, we've all got friends in there, no tickets, 
No entry. When Jesus comes back, there will be no plus one at his feast. Everybody needs to be ready on their own. Uh, in 1904, there was a revival in Wales over the United Kingdom. And uh, to see if somebody during this kind of this huge revival had actually had a personal encounter for themselves with Jesus Christ, here's the types of questions that they would ask people. Uh, how real has God's presence been in your life this last month? How certain are you of his forgiveness? Uh, are you finding his word to be alive and active? Are you finding certain biblical promises more precious and encouraging? Are you more aware of, of the evil in your own heart, the judgment you deserve, and your inability to even think one good thought or perform one single act acceptable to God without his Holy Spirit? And has all of that made his son Jesus more precious to you? Can you answer those for yourself right now? Are you trying to borrow oil from somebody else in your life? Be ready. Because the invitation is more personal than we think. So the surprise of appearances, the surprise of invitations, third... Surprise of judgment. Uh, the moment that we have been waiting for is here. The groom has come. Everything's ready. The band's playing. Prime ribs getting carved. You know, champagne glasses are ready for toasting. You've got your kids at the grandparents for the week. This is going to be great, right? The five foolish women, though, aren't met with this wild feast that's about to happen. Instead, they arrive to the sight and sound of judgment. Uh, in verse 10, it says, But while these five foolish bridesmaids were off on their own, trying to buy oil, the groom arrived. And the women who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Now, you've got to understand, normally weddings in that time, it was, it was an open hospitality event. Everybody in the town was invited to come and go throughout the week as they pleased. In fact, even today, in Middle Eastern cultures, it is assumed uh, that people will arrive late, stressing out uh, overly time-conscientious type A people to, to wound up like myself. Um, and Jesus is saying, though, at my feast, it's going to be different. When the celebration starts, the door will shut. And in verse 11, it says these foolish bridesmaids arrive. And they say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. They think, surely there's got to be some sort of mistake here. Somebody get the groom and he'll, he'll sort this all out for us. But he says to them, truly I tell you, I do not know you. What Jesus uh, isn't saying here is that he doesn't recognize them. He's saying, I don't have a relationship with you. Same way that Amos 3.2 uses the word know. When God uses it to describe his special relationship with Israel, when he says, 
only, I've only known you, Israel, out of all the nations in the world. In other words, Jesus isn't saying, I, I don't recognize you. He's saying, no, you're not on my guest list. Jesus is saying, get ready now. Because when I come back and the party starts, the door will close forever. And this all sounds a, a bit harsh by God, doesn't it? I mean, these, these five foolish women, you know, hindsight 2020, could have thought things through a little better, but they seem genuine. How can a loving God send these five women in this parable to hell? Uh, in North America, in particular, uh, we really struggle with the idea of a God who would judge people. In one sense, it, it shouldn't be an easy pill to swallow ever. Right? If you've ever met uh, a Christian who seems giddy about the doctrine of hell, I don't think they've really fully understood it. But we have to understand, though, is that there are plenty of very intelligent people in other parts of the world that don't have the same intellectual hang-ups with this or emotional hang-ups. People in places today like Belarus, Ethiopia, Hong Kong, places where they are experiencing massive-scale human injustice aren't repulsed by the idea of a God who has a standard of justice and will judge people according to it. Meaning this, this intellectual hang-up that we have here in America, that, that though understandable, often is described as insurmountable, uh, is really a hurdle because of where you live. It's a product of European Enlightenment thought. It's not something that is universally questioned. If you grew up in a different part of the world, if you grew up in a different part of our community here in Central Florida, this would not be merely as intellectually defeating. But what's happening here? Does, does God really slam the door shut on well-intentioned people just trying to do their best? Will, will he really look at us at the end of time and say, too late, you had your chance, the party started, and I'm closing the door? No. Now, if you look at a little deeper, these five foolish bridesmaids, they knew the groom was coming. And yet, despite what they're saying now, they were never that interested at being at the wedding. No, while everyone else was off, getting ready, making sure that when the groom came, they would be prepared to go with him into his celebration. The five foolish ones were off doing other things. They said, you know, I'm just really focusing on my career right now for this season of life. Or you know, maybe when my kids are a little older, i got a little bit more breathing room, uh, I'll be able to have more time for God in my life. Or, you, you know, I know I've got this boulder of some specific sin in my life right now, but you know what? I'm a little busy right now when the holidays are over, though. I'm going to buckle down. I'm making my New Year's resolution this year. But what we don't expect is that when the celebration starts, the door closes and nobody knows the hour or the day. This is what Advent's telling us. Be ready. Because appearances are more misleading than we think. 
The invitation is more personal than we think, and the judgment is more urgent than we think. So how does someone get ready then? If Christ is coming, there's this big celebration that's going to happen for eternity, but when it happens, the door is going to shut behind him. How does somebody get ready? And the Bible actually talks about it uh, in a little bit confusing way. In one sense, uh, it says we're saved by faith, completely and utterly apart from anything we do. But then in other places, sometimes even in the same book, even in the same chapter, it says, in the end, though, we'll be judged by works. That at the end of time, all men will sit before Jesus Christ who will judge what we have done in this life against the standard of God's law. So, which is it? Faith or works? Trust in God or me and my own doing? How does somebody get ready for this second advent of Jesus Christ? How can you make sure that when the celebration starts, you'll be on the inside enjoying this feast forever Instead of on the outside hearing, I never knew you. Well, this parable, frustratingly, doesn't really mention how. Not the point of it. But, in a parable that comes just after this, Jesus does tell us how we can get ready to join him in his party. In it, Jesus says, when I come back, I'm going to divide the world and to those who will join me in my celebration, and those who will be left on the outside. To those joining his feast, he makes this declaration for them to come in and take what has been prepared for them from before time began. And then he gives some evidence to support why he's made this decision about them. He says, because their lives were filled with spontaneous unprovoked acts of love that weren't done to earn or merit anything, but were done as an expression of their faith and love in Jesus. And then he'll turn and look to those who are left outside of the party, who he shuts the door on and says, but you won't be coming in. And here's the proof why. Your life wasn't marked by those same spontaneous, unprovoked acts of love that were an expression of your faith in me. You see, at the second advent of Jesus Christ, what we'll be really judged by isn't our works, but the type of faith we have. Whether it was a genuine faith shown in a life of love or not. Because just like the sun can't give off lights without also giving off heat, a true saving faith in Jesus can't not help but also show itself in spontaneous, unprovoked acts of love. Meaning, the way you get ready for the groom to come, the way you make sure that you are prepared to join the celebration is by believing in him is by believing in the groom who on the cross dies for his unfaithful bride, where he in that moment has the door slammed shut on him, where he hears the sound 
of judgment. Or in that moment on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no reply. All because, all because he thought his celebration would not be the same without you. This faith is what will make us ready. And that is good news. Because as Ephesians 2 tells us, true faith in Christ, the type of faith that makes someone ready for the groom to come back, is a free gift. It's not something we create in ourselves, but something the Spirit of Christ himself creates in us. That after he died, three days later, Jesus rose by the power of the Holy Spirit, ascended to heaven from where he gives out his own spirit to you and me, a spirit which produces a faith in you that says, though I don't deserve it, I believe the groom died for me, that I should have been the one up there exposed and judged, but he was instead and now has clothed me, covered me forever in his righteousness so that when he comes, I will be ready. A faith that produces a life of love in you. A faith that perseveres when you get tired. A faith that in your despair, your suffering, your sin, lifts your heart up to heaven where you see your salvation, your Savior who loves you, sitting at the right hand of God for you, a faith that will complete in you the good work it began until you are enjoying the deafening noise at the return of Jesus Christ and a faith that is on offer to all. Because as Jesus said in John's gospel, anyone who comes to me in faith, I will never cast out. Don't you see? It's a work of Jesus every step of the way. You want to know how you get ready? It's the groom who makes you ready to come and meet him. Meaning this season of Advent, as we turn our heads toward Christ's second Advent, and the waiting is hard, and the groom's delayed, we can wait with full confidence, knowing that in the end, God will fulfill his purposes for you from before time began, when at midnight, the cry goes out, and the groom comes back, and by faith, you will go with him into his feast. Not because you, or anyone else has made you ready because the groom himself has made you ready. Because grace has made you ready. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Advent season. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would listen to its message that we would turn our heads to the second advent of Christ and trust that by faith the groom will make us ready. And when he comes, 
by grace, we will go with him to his celebration. Amen.